0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. This is your host, Jill. This week's episode is another author interview. Adam spoke with New York Times bestselling author Lisa Jackson. She is an author of several um, thriller and suspense and also romance series. So I'm sure a bunch of you out there are big fans of hers and will be looking forward to listening to this episode. As always, you can feel free to... Um, reach out to us with any comments you have regarding this episode or any previous episodes. You can email us directly at feedback at overdrive.com. Those emails come to Adam and I, and we read every single one and appreciate every single one. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook, so feel free to say hello and let us know what you think of the podcast.
1: Hi everyone, this is Adam from Team Overdrive, and today I am joined by Lisa Jackson, who is the number one New York Times bestselling author of more than 85 novels, including Afraid to Die, Tell Me, You Don't Want to Know, Running Scared, Without Mercy, Malice, and Shiver. She is also the co-author of the Colony series, co-written with her sister, Nancy Bush, And there are over 20 million copies of Lisa's books in print in 20 languages. Lisa, thank you so much for taking some time to chat with us today. Hey, thanks for calling me. This sounds great. So the the first thing I want to ask you, I just mentioned you've written over 85 novels, 30 of which are bestsellers, and I feel like it's cheating asking authors where they get their ideas from because I don't want you to have to reveal your secrets, but what I would love to know is what is your writing process like? Because it seems to me like in order to write that many books, you couldn't possibly ever stop writing.
2: Oh, yeah. I, you know, my sister says our, our vocation is our avocation, love to read, love to write. And um, the ideas, uh, I'm not afraid to talk about that, because I get ideas everywhere. It's some days there's, some times of the year there's lots of ideas. I can't write them all down. Other times of the year it's, uh, it's, uh, like the Sahara Desert. But, um, <laughs> I, my writing process is, I'm kind of a fly by the seat of my pants girl. And so I don't go every morning at 8 o'clock down to my computer, write so many, lo- so long, or do so much research. It's kind of, Free-flowing, fluid is the word they use these days. Mm-hmm. I do write every day or try to. This past weekend, I didn't turn my computer on from Friday at noon until Monday morning, which was unusual, <laughs> very, very unusual. But um, I write kind of each day around what everything else is. Now, when I'm on deadline, uh everything else in my life, which includes family, friends, uh Jaw, housework, whatever <laughs> has to go to the back burner a little bit, but i um I write on a laptop. I talk to my sister several times a day, we write books together, and we edit each other 's work and i just uh, I write books off a of synopsis um, for those of you who don't know what that is it's it's a condensed version of the book. I sit down and write uh, a thirty to seventy page synopsis, which is the backbone. The plot, the characters of the book that I, after having that uh, uh, synopsis approved, will write the book from. So um, some days that goes very well, some days not so <laughs> not so well. But that when I sit down to actually write the book, I know what the book is going to be, beginning, middle, and end, unless during the writing process I kind of veer off, which I have been known to do.
1: <laughs> so when you're writing the synopsis, for you, do you tend to mm-hmm. get the idea of the story and then maybe do like background research into what you want these characters to be afterwards? Um, or do you find yourself getting like a spark of an idea, you know, from the news or something you read and then kind of do the research? I guess, do you sort of come up with the idea and then do that background research? Or did you know, is it just kind of tend on?
2: I do most of the well, depending on what you call research, I mean, I research like the area and all that as I write, um I have tons of books on it but I use the internet a lot um I'll give you two examples of how a couple of my best sellers came to be the first one is my editor came to me and he was he actually came and visited and he said on the way I have a great idea for a novel I want you to consider and I thought oh well great that's not usually how it goes <laughs> So he comes, and he sits down, and I give him a cup of coffee, and I said, So, let's get get to it. What is this great idea? He says I'd like you to write about a killer who only kills in winter. Mm -hmm. I said, and I'm writing my notes. I said, okay. And what else? That's it. That's it. He kills in winter. Why does he only kill in winter? And he says, I don't know. And that was the spark, and I can't tell you how quickly Deep Freeze came to be. Mm -hmm. I mean, at first I thought, well, what a, what a dumb idea. I mean, <laughs> come on. <laughs> but um I, I found that it worked really well. Uh, another example is I was driving down in a beautiful day in Oregon and I was driving very bright and I was listening to the radio and an advertisement came on and it was an advertisement where a woman said, I don't know what to do with my child. Uh, she's out of control. And a uh, calming voice said, have you thought about sending her to something, something academy in southern Oregon? We take troubled teens and t- get um, take care of them and get them back on track if their grades are slipping and they're into drugs or whatever. And um, uh the woman says, oh, we sent her to so-and-so, and now we have our daughter back, something like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting in a traffic light. And I'm listening to this, and I'm thinking, well, what would it take for me to send my kids away, and and how much, and all of a sudden I hear, me, me, and the guy behind me, the light <laughs> had changed. I I was so lost in my idea, so I, I don't remember where I was going, but I did a quick U-turn and went home and typed up the idea and sent it to my editor, and that book became Without Mercy. Now, most ideas don't come with that kind of clarity. I can't remember exactly what happened. Right. But that's two examples of an idea, uh, something you hear or see, and it sparks something, and off you go. And my characters come to me. I don't create them. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, I do. But I mean, I actually see them as if they're in a movie, and I feel what they're doing.
1: And so a lot of your your books, you know, they're they're very mystery-based, and you have a lot of different you know, types of, you know, people and killers and, and really, you know, violent and evil types of people. And it, you say on your, on your website that you're fascinated by both the minds and the motives of those killers as well as their pursuers. So what is, you know, your process when it comes to writing these types of characters? We actually just uh, did a podcast with some of our librarians here at at the office talking about mystery titles and how they would never be able to write a mystery book because they would either be afraid that they were becoming too much like the people that they were writing about and also that they were kind of giving away too much and it wouldn't become a mystery title because they wouldn't know how to just kind of drop little clues here and there. So when it comes to writing these, you know, very violent and and evil people, how do you manage to both, come up with their psyches and then also how do you keep from giving away too many clues all at once is that something that you've had to work on
2: oh yeah i think it's it's a process and of course when you sit down to write a book it's just not like you go from page one to page 450 and you're done you go back and forth especially with the advent of computers um many times i'll get to page 300 and think oh wait why don't we let the readers think it might be this guy Mm -hmm. so you have to go back and pepper in little clues and i i try to because i play a game with the readers um by not divulging who the killer is right off the bat and why what his motivations are until you know those motivations and sometimes it takes me to about page 150 on a book to really understand the characters, then I have to go back and start over. I mean, I have to play around with them for a while, get to know them. Uh They're just not that set in my mind as I start writing. As for going to either a dark place or a sexy place or um, a place that you wouldn't normally go to in your life with your killers, I, uh, you have to get into their heads. I think um it's it's a it's a process. It's it's probably like acting. You have to feel what they feel to convey. Now, I don't have any bloodlust at all. <laughs> I'm actually kind of a wimp when it comes to, you know, if my dog is hurt, my kid is hurt, or oh I don't I'm not good. I don't have that. But I try to turn into um a dark place. And I think most people, whether they'd admit it or not, are, they're not all good, they're not all bad. There's a, there's a, a yin and a yang, a, a dark and a light place in your mind and I think you have to go to it. I think maybe uh, George Lucas with the Star Wars <laughs> trilogy did that. It's, so when you write, you have to be, for me, not, I can't speak for anybody else. I kind of have to be that character and I have to get into whatever stupid, awful thing they're into and it, you just have to turn your mind around. Um, it's imagination, and it's cer- certainly nothing you would ever act on. But it has to be believable, or the reader will turn off.
1: And is that something that for, you, for you that, because to me, I, I feel like writing these types of things, there's two ways of looking at it. One, I might be worried I would start thinking about you know the, those dark places all the time, but is it kind of therapeutic to kind of be able to... Write, as you mentioned, sort of that dark side and kind of put it all out on paper. Is it something that it's.
2: No, no, because it's not a part of my personality. Mm-hmm. It's a place I have to go to. And I go there. One time I was writing, and I was all alone in the house. I don't know, the kids were gone, everybody was gone. And I'm down there writing something in the office, uh, pretty dark. I can't remember what book or what scene, but it was kind of a creepy scheme scene it kind of had the hairs in the back of my neck going up Mm -hmm. and i guess it was windy upstairs the door blew shut i jumped off my chair three (laughs) inches and i i and i stopped i quit writing right then um after i write a particularly intense scene whether it's sexual or violent or just creepy i kind of have to shut down and walk outside and play with my dogs, or talk to the kids, or whatever it is. Um, Because it's pretty intense, and it's a weird thing when you sit and think about that you're writing something on a computer, and you're reading words, and you're pouring them out from your brain, and yet you're there, so I get out of there. Um, I never fear that it's going to take over. In fact, probably more the other way. Uh, I fear that I can't go there, Mm -hmm. because uh if the character doesn't seem developed enough or if i just find whatever i'm writing too disgusting and i have i have um rules for myself i will not there are certain things that i won't do you won't see a kid killed in my books mm-hmm. won't happen or an animal they won't be killed they might die but they won't be killed right because i can't go there so there are certain and you won't see like uh any child abuse I won't go there or animal abuse I just won't mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I won't even go there and have there might be the threat but you won't see the bad guy doing it and the bad guy killed before he does it but now I don't know why adults are okay for me yeah but uh and I'll have kids kidnapped but they're never I I don't want to go there and I won't yeah. so uh, anybody who's listening to this Sorry if you're if you see a kid kidnapped in my book, you know that kid's <laughs> going to survive.
1: That's okay. I think it might be something about the the innocence of of children and especially animals. Yeah, as as a dog lover myself, yes. I, I think you know you yes, never want to really.
2: See- and there are people, uh, so I I won't go there, but um, well I'll do lots of other things. And I have in the past, I I, I as I've got older, maybe I'm not more squeamish is the uh, right word maybe, but there are certain things that I've probably written about in the past that I probably wouldn't go there anymore. Mm-hmm. There, uh, I, I don't know. Cause I'm older, I guess <laughs> not as bold.
1: Well, I will say it definitely speaks to your town as a writer that you have the ability to kind of make yourself a little scared and uncomfortable and have to walk away. I think that's very <laughs> impressive. Um, So you have a very unique distinction that we, you know, we mentioned in the intro here and the fact that you're not the only successful published author in your family. Uh, As you mentioned, you know, your sister, Nancy, is also an author and you guys have actually written books together. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a brother who I work with and we're both kind of part-time writers, but we've never written anything like a book together, just kind of short articles for newspapers and things like that. So I'm really interested in the process. Clearly you guys have a great uh rapport, as you said, you, you speak every single day. But how do you comfortably collaborate with each other and so successfully? And I'm just interested to hear about kind of like the back and forth on um you know, coming up with ideas together and, and how that process works.
2: You know, we're not we are a lot alike and yet we're not. Um and but we respect each other and we've always been close. Uh not maybe in high school, you know she was younger than me and i mom and dad always made me take her everywhere it was just a drag but of um since we become adults uh we've been our kids our, our kids are born within 16 months of each other the three of them together so um our lives have taken some parallel paths and some not and she was the one who got me into writing uh she said i i read about people who write romance and make money and I thought we're not going to do that we <laughs> we don't even read romance but I was babysitting at the time and I thought oh maybe Nancy's on to something when we write a project together we kind of spitball it back and forth uh she for example the next book we're writing um it's going to be a break from our wicked series and she says well what do you think uh, you know we had some some different ideas that we tossed around and I said you know I I kind of woke up and I thought about, you know, what a runaway bride, a hook. Oh, she liked that. So, and sometimes she has the hook. She's usually the gimmick person and I figure it out. Anyway, we just kind of went off about that. Well, what if, if we start with that scene? No, no, we need to start ahead of time to get the reader, whatever. Are we going to have to start with a murder? And so, well, why is she a runaway bride? Why? So anyway, we just kind of worked out the synopsis together. And uh send it back and forth, like we talk it over, and then somebody starts it, and then it goes back and forth with email, so easy. Mm-hmm. And uh then talk if we don't like something or want to change something, and then when we go to the actual writing, one of us starts writing, and the other one, and, and writes for a couple chapters, and the other one then um, starts over, and then writes ahead, and then we kind of leap Leapfrog through the book, and if anybody has a problem, they say, Hey, this isn't working. I want another character in here, or I don't like the way this turn. And we, we take our egos out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, I think, very difficult for people. Uh, uh, the competitive edge. And so that's how we do it.
1: And do you ever worry? Because obviously, even being incredibly close and, and similar, Clearly, being two separate people, you have at least slightly different writing styles. And you mentioned that, you know, mm-hmm. she might come up with a hook more often, and you might have more like the the big kind of overview of a whole story in your mind. Are you ever concerned if you're writing the same characters? If you know their voice might change slightly depending on which one of you is is writing it at that time, or is it something that you pay close attention to? You know, oh, Nancy was writing it a few chapters ago and here's how she was writing this character. So I want to pay close attention to how I write it. Or is it something that you're close enough that you can comfortably share these characters on the page without really worrying about the readers being confused or conflicted?
2: I think we write, we understand the characters and it's not a problem. Now when we wrote, um, with another gal, we wrote sinister. Um, and it was the first time she'd written with us. Uh, we had a little bit of a learning curve Mm -hmm. because her writing style wasn't as much like ours, but we got it together. I think the important thing is once the book is near finished, one person goes from the beginning to the end to make sure that it's smooth. Uh, I don't think we have much of a problem. And even when we wrote sinister with uh, Roz, it, it all worked out. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the important thing is that you're right. Uh, it, there's not a jarring change, so the reader is thrown out of the story. Um, you know how sometimes typographical errors or uh, a scene you didn't expect or a scene going flat throws you out of the story. You're not in the book. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the the biggest uh, concern. And uh, when writing the books... Um, once in a while we disagree on how it should go, but we'll work it out. I mean, it's just like anything else in life. You work it out.
1: I just want to offer a a, qu- a suggestion. You guys should do at least one book where you have like a unreliable narrator or like a schizophrenic just to have fun. Just, you're writing the same characters, <laughs> but, but you just completely go off the rails on, on their ideas. <laughs>
2: That might be that might be harder than you think. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> or not... maybe or maybe darn, it might be too easy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good point. Um okay, something else I saw on your on your website that made me incredibly happy. We have something in common in that we are both dog lovers. Um in fact, on your website, people can actually go and donate to a foundation that rescues abandoned dogs, which I absolutely love. So, being a fellow dog lover, I always want to know, I have two questions. First, what type of dogs do you have? And second, would you mind telling our readers a little bit about that foundation that you're working with, if you wouldn't mind?
2: Not a problem. Right now, I'm sitting between two pugs. Um, One I got as a puppy. The other one wasn't really a rescue. It was rehomed through this rescue um there there she was a very loved dog, but the daughter developed allergies and pugs shed like crazy, yes, and then there is a beagle I don't see her right now; she must be downstairs sleeping mm-hmm. that I share with my um son uh it's Magnus is really their dog, but they have little kids, and so she comes i ride often at the beach, and she comes with me so um, the way I got into rescue dogs is my other son lied to me when he was at college and didn't tell me he got a puppy at the pound. And so he finally had to come clean, you know, because he's coming home with his dog. And I said, oh, Michael, what are you doing with a dog? I mean, you know, you're supposed to be studying. You don't need the responsibility. Okay, well, he got the dog. He's always liked dogs. Fine. And I said, well, what kind of a dog is it? Well, they don't really know, but what they're sure of is it's a pit bull. And I said, "Oh, Michael, I saw pictures of babies with faces ripped off and whatever." And she goes, oh, "He goes, Mom, it's really a sweet dog." And I thought, "Okay, I didn't know anything about pit bulls, right? We'd, we'd growing up, we'd always just had mutt strays that had come mm-hmm. in. He comes with Bonzi, and my whole life turned around with Bonzi, who was obviously part Staffordshire Terrier. The most he looked like was pit bull in the face. He was a beautiful dog. He must have been labber." boxer, something like that, Ridgeback, something. He was tall and slim, and, oh, he was beautiful running on the beach. And he was the biggest wimp on the universe and the sweetest <laughs> dog. And so that's how I got into it. Uh, he he, Michael had gone to the pound and found this puppy that was one of eight. And then later, uh, through a friend, I got into rescue. And I don't actually do the rescue. I just um, fund it when I can. And I... Can't even remember this other friend talked me about Seva Dog. I think it's pronounced Save a Dog, but it's S-E-V-A-D-O-G in Eugene. And this woman does rescues all sorts of different dogs and has a sanctuary for some that are unadoptable. And on my website, I will give away a book if the people donate to, uh, Sa- Save a Dog. And I went down and visited it. She's trying to buy the property that she's located in and it's uh it's amazing what they will take the dogs that are the way it works is to summarize it is that dogs that are surrendered or picked up on the street and end up in shell- uh, kill shelters they're uh, uh, pounds they're they're allowed to live for x amount of days but then when there's not room some of them are euthanized lots of them thousands are euthanized. um and if a dog is of a particularly, uh, good with people and other dogs, non-reactive, uh, the people who work in these shelters will contact rescuers who will then get together the funds to pull the dog from the shelter and send it to a non-kill animal shelter like, uh, Save a Dog in Eugene. Mm-hmm. And they will take whatever problems that the, the dog has and try to make them adoptable. And I've done this with a lot of dogs um, and a lot of different uh, facilities besides Save-A-Dog. This is just one that is somewhat local and um, uh, very dedicated in their uh, workings with the dogs. So does that explain
1: it? Absolutely, yeah. And I just do want to point out for our, for our listeners, if you go to LisaJackson.com, she does have a link right there uh for the save a dog and as i mentioned it's just something as a fellow dog lover when i saw it on the the website i definitely wanted to point that out so i think it's awesome that you're doing that yes. um yeah just wanted to like i said give our readers uh, a little heads up that that's available at your website uh okay given that overdrive is a library company i always ask all the authors that i'm interviewing um do you have a favorite or a first memory of a library either when you were growing up or it could be something you remember fondly just do you have a, a favorite memory or, like I said, a first memory of going to a library with your family or, or whatever it may be?
2: My, my first library experiences wasn't, weren't great because I lived in a little town called Molalla, Oregon, and the librarian was so grouchy. <laughs> so I remember running through the stacks and trying to find a Nancy Drew or a Walter Farley book and, and just... Feeling like I have to get this book and get out because it's, it's, uh, it wasn't a fun spot. However, later on, of course in college, but, mm-hmm. uh, as I became an author, I have been to wonderful libraries. The one in Seaside, Oregon has, uh, a wonderful program and, uh, I spoke there and some woman came with her rescue dog. <laughs> we had a great time. And then I worked, I spoke for the one in Vancouver, Washington, and they do wonderful things. Uh, they get the uh, troubled youth uh, who are in JD or something, they come and they help uh, with the stacks and sending books out. They have a great program where they uh, send uh, books to people who are shut in. And one of the fond memories I say growing up is that my grandmother went blind. And that wasn't fond at all. But, uh, through the library system, she was able to, uh, get books on tape back then. It was, you know, not reel to reel, but, uh, probably eight tracks, something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's, she had many, many hours of enjoyment because throughout the whole county, I don't know if it was the state, the county of Clackamas, she could, uh, rent books, uh, from, or be loaned, uh, book, books on, um, tape from all over, I think, the state. I can't remember. It's been a long time ago. Mm-hmm. But what a great program that was that people maybe don't think about for those who can't, um, at least at that time, uh, there was no closed caption TV right. and there wasn't that many stations and she couldn't see that, that well anyway. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I think libraries create an incredible service to not just little kids learning to read, which of course, or underprivileged, or just the regular community. Not just that, but these outreach programs are are absolutely incredible. And back in the day when I first started writing, when I couldn't find, when there wasn't Google at my fingertips, <laughs> where would I go to get information? But the librarians. So though my first um, uh, memory of a library isn't that great. Over the years, it has been expansive and wonderful.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And so uh, something else we always do on every episode of our podcast is uh, we have tons of librarians who work here at Overdrive, and so we do lots of book recommendations. Um, so when you're not writing in those rare times that you're not writing your own books, uh, what are some of the books or authors that you enjoy reading?
2: Oh, wow. You know, I just did something, and I, I've got a whole list, but... I'm going to say the books that just uh have come to mind and unfortunately I do a lot of reading um on CD because uh, a lot of listening as I drive and so it, it it's affected by who reads the book actually right. but I just uh, I I'm a big Harlan Coben fan and I just read his book Missing You and I loved it. I'm in the middle of John Sanford's Oh Shockwave and I wanna get back in the car to hear the end. I think I'm gonna to have to download it to my Kindle. Um, I love The Girl on the Train mm-hmm. and I loved uh Gone Girl. Uh one of my favorite books of all time is called Midwives by Chris Bajolian, I believe is the pronunciation of the name enunciation of the name. I love um Michael Col- Colony Connolly's books. Mm-hmm. Um oh I did just did this. I loved C books and Marley and me, I tried to read not just in genre, but if a book has made a splash, let's go with Harry Potter Mm -hmm. or The Hunger Games, then I want to read the book because it's made a splash. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's currently what I'm reading. Um, I think I've been very blessed with some wonderful books. Uh, Oh, oh no, the uh, Silver Lining Playbook. Yes, yes. That was an incredible book. Now, I didn't read it before the movie came out, and I saw the movie and liked it. But like so many books, I thought, oh, well, do I really want to read that book? And I did. And I listened to it. And it was incredible. I loved that book. Oh, another person I I like to read is Stephen King, especially some of his old stuff. Mm -hmm. Really good.
1: I will say you just made a a bunch of fans around here at our office. We, uh, we actually, we talk about Harry Potter pretty much every day being a a library company. And when you're, (laughs) when you're referencing audiobooks, the, if you haven't listened to them, the Harry Potter audiobooks, they're all narrated by Jim Dale. Uh, they are fantastic. So I don't want to keep you in your car longer because those are obviously very long, but the Harry (laughs) Potter audiobooks are fantastic.
2: Oh, well, that's a good idea. I, I have a stack and what's, Funny is we share these uh, we share these audio books through the um, friends and also my friend who got me into the dog rescue. He and I are always sending books back and forth. He just sent me um, is it called eleven twenty two sixty three? Yes, the, the Stephen I'm King. Yeah, So we we send back and forth. Uh, so it kind of the the dog rescue and the books go hand in hand <laughs> and. Oh, thank you. Um, because I read the first Harry Potter and because of the links to the books and I had other things to read, I, I never got back into it. This on, uh, tape is a great idea. Yeah. The... I do, um, I, I drive for two hours when I come to the beach. So that's when I do the listening. It's not good to do it in town. Uh, I think it was midwives that I was listening to and oh dear, I was missed my, uh, turn off and almost <laughs> ran into somebody. So I don't listen to, um, uh, books on tape when I'm in the city that I don't under- don't know. Yeah,
1: well, like I said, if you have two hours at a time, the Harry Potter ones are fantastic. I, I recommend those as audiobooks. Um, okay, so your most recent book, Revenge. Can you give our listeners maybe an elevator pitch on why they should check this book out? I'm really interested in it. Well, one.
2: okay. Well, this is a book that I wrote. It's actually three books in one, but it has an overall uh, mystery to three love stories. I wrote this book. A while back and it was originally called Love Letters and there's a big letter on the back of the book that says that to me and so it's been a while so I kind of reviewed it because I knew I was having this podcast and it's um, interesting in that I remember writing it because it's set in Rimrock, Oregon which is a place I hadn't visited in in, uh, Eastern Oregon. Uh, Rimrock is a fictitious town but I had visited Eastern Oregon when I uh, kind of researched the book. And, uh, it's a story about an overpowering patriarch who tries to run his children's lives and he is killed. His wife insists that he was murdered and throughout the three stories that murder is unraveled while the, um, uh, each of the individual stories is a individual love Story within the umbrella of the arc of the mystery.
1: And so I normally ask our authors who have a number of titles and series what would be a good one to start <laughs> with if our readers are new to your writings. But given that Revenge was originally written kind of early on in your career, it seems like that might be a pretty perfect place for people to start. Does that sound accurate?
2: I, w- I think it would be because as I went through it, because I've written so many books, um, I thought, well, this is a really good one. Yes, I, I think it's a good place to start. And, of course, on my website, lisajackson.com, I have all the books listed, and I have a series order. So if they pick up a book and they think, for example, I write the To Die series, you know, uh, Left to Die, Chosen Mm -hmm. to Die, Born to Die, it lists which book is first so that you don't pick up the fifth book. And even though it's a standalone novel, then you pick up the second book and you thought, oh, hey, this guy's dead. (laughs) So I think, I I hope my website is a good source for these people.
1: Absolutely. And just so everyone listening knows, and they're probably familiar, if you go to Overdrive.com and search Lisa Jackson, you'll also find all of your titles there as well, and they can find all the the series and everything. I have one last question for you. What do you hope your readers kind of take away or get out of your books while they're reading them?
2: I just hope that they are taken away to a place that they enjoy. And they can relax for a couple of hours and think, oh, my gosh, it's time to get up and start dinner, or I better get off to the job. I just want people to enjoy the books. And for the people who read the real mysteries, I'm I'm playing a game with you. Um, Who did it and why? Can you figure it out? It's as hard for me to write it as probably harder than for you to figure it out. So um, I enjoy my readers, and I enjoy uh, the back and forth we have, which on, I'm on Facebook and on Twitter and uh, my website, and we talk back and forth about the stories. And
1: so um,
2: let me know what you think.
1: Perfect. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Thank you for having me. And uh, this has been a lot of fun.
0: Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace.